0: If you want to take your Bible, start with me to Romans 6. If you don't have a Bible and need one, raise your hand and we'll get one in your hands. But I also want to remind you about the value of what it is to be marking up the text of Scripture. We're talking about what it is to live the Christ life. Um, I beg you, start getting the idea of living your Christian life out of your head. The Christ life is not about your doing. It's about your being. And everything that you are, whether you recognize it or not, is everything that you are in Christ. I was looking at something really dumb last night on the internet, just in case you wonder how I spend the wee hours of the night, about people who had once been famous, but were now doing regular things. They'd given up Hollywood or, or walked away from fame and, and exposure and all that type of thing. They just wanted to live a normal life. Does anybody remember a show called Malcolm in the Middle? Anybody remember that? Some of you do. I never watched that show, I don't even think about it. But there's a guy who played the main character, and he's decided to walk away from trying to act in Hollywood anymore. And what was amazing was over the course of time, after he had finished that TV show, he had a couple of mini strokes. And those mini strokes actually served to remove all of his memory about ever having participated in that show. And so now he lives this life, I think he owns like some organic herb shop or something, I don't know if that's code for something else, but anyway, in Arizona... I don't know if Malcolm's selling left-handed cigarettes or what. I'm not for sure. But the fact is, he's living this life in such a way as to where he has no previous understanding of what his past life on. Could you imagine if nobody told you and you sat down and flipped on the TV and caught a rerun for the first time and putting that together? But what's amazing about him is he has no recollection of who he was. He only understands who he is now. And let me tell you this, that is exactly the way that Jesus Christ transforms a life by bringing the word of God in and renewing the mind. And if you're like me, and I'm not here to glory in the past, praise God, but you look back on the things that happened before you knew Jesus and you think, who was that person? What scares me today is that it seems like when I talk to a lot of people, and I'm not talking about here necessarily, but just when I'm listening to people talk in general, Christians, there's very little waving the banner of who I am now in Christ, who Christ has made me, what God says about me. There's a lot of depression There's a lot of defeat, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of lack of assurance. there's no confidence in people's lives, but it's rare to find a situation where someone is confident in how immovable they are, not because of who they are, but because of who Christ is in them. In fact, that's the very definition of what a spiritual man is. Someone is who is so locked on to the truth and understands the reality, regardless of what the world tries to tell, regardless of where the flesh tries to leave, regardless of how the devil tries to tempt. If we can question our identity, who we truly are, then we have just been baited, hook. Line and sinker, and will be <sharp> let <inhale> astray. And so here's my goal. In fact, my goal for this entire series has been to put the truth that God plainly tells us in front of you so that we will not just take note of it on Sunday, but that it will roll through our Monday through Saturday where we're coming back to this text, where we're dealing with the arguments that are at hand. I mean, obviously, Paul thought it was important. Vern was telling me the other day, Paul thought these things were important. Read any of his letters, you'll find it. It's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. And he may not say it always the same way, but the concept is still the same. Because if we begin to understand this, we now become a very dangerous, dangerous weapon in this world. And that is a Christian that actually knows what they're talking about. Now that sounds crass, and I hope you didn't take it that way. So don't take this that way either. There's a lot of ignorant children of God that are running around in this world, and the times are such, we can't afford to be that way. I refuse to go to my grave and say, Well, God, we kept them dumb. He will not be pleased. He will not be pleased at the judgment seat of Christ. And so we can't afford to fall into that trap. So with all of that being said, let's start in chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to touch on verse 11. We're going to deal with 12, 13, and 14 today. And then I'm going to give you two test cases of how this situation works, okay? So let's get our bearings here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Remember, singular, and that speaks of the sin nature that is within you. Context will show you if you just read it along. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase if I continue in the path of depravity? Because you just told me in the previous chapter at the very end where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Get more grace for that situation. So should we continue there so that grace is even more abundant? Number one, is grace already abundant? Absolutely. So that's not an issue whatsoever. So the reply is the double negative. By no means. No, don't even think that. Get it out of your mind. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Why? Because dead people no longer have a relationship with sin. The old man has been cast out. Now, obviously, that's not Chuck because he's still sitting here. Can I pick on you today? Tom's not here. Okay, making sure. But the old us, who we were before God invaded, who we were in our spirit, dead in trespasses and sins, gone. Gone. We've now been regenerated, and the Holy Spirit now dwells with our spirit, and we are now righteous in our standing before God. In fact, I would go as far as to say, in our spirit, we are righteous. We've been made righteous in our spirit. How could the Holy Spirit dwell somewhere that's not righteous? So now the Holy Spirit and our spirit testify we are children of God. Now moving on here. Or do you not know, verse 3, That all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. Now remember, that's spirit baptism, not water baptism. Verse 4, therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness So the big thing we need to know is that we've been identified with Christ in his death and his burial. Verse 5, for if we have become united with him, you want to mark that, we're now associated with him in all related experiences. What is true of Christ is now true of us because we are in him. That is our new location. So notice it says, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, what do we need to know? that our old self, the old man, was crucified with him. For what purpose? In order that our body of sin might be done away. And remember, that means that the power cord is cut. All power going to this body of death has been severed. So anytime that we participate... An act of sin in our lives as believers in Christ, it's because we're serving out well-worn flesh patterns that were established in our unregenerate state. Does that make sense to everybody? I'm not convinced. Does that make sense to everybody? Or let me say it this way. The reason why you would keep sinning is because that's how you learn to deal with the situations in life beforehand. That was the way we've always done it, and it's comfortable. It's the same reason why a drug addict goes back to the same drugs. I know the high to expect. I know the lingo that I need to use in order to buy it. I know the amount that I need to have in order to feel those type of effects, and it's all really comfortable. The idea that we have been emancipated from Satan's grasp and are no longer considered his children and are now children of God, is a scary proposition because we're trying to get our pinky toe out there and we're not for sure what we're going to find. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of walking in life. Our natural propensity is to sin. Nobody had to teach us that, but the idea of having our minds renewed and walking by the Spirit, that seems a little strange to me. So notice, Paul wants to push us to understand That old you went to the cross. You've been crucified. Not need to be crucified. Not you better crucify yourself. He's telling you right here, you have been, at the time that Jesus was put on the cross, crucified. Done. So now moving forward. Notice, he doesn't any longer, at the end of verse 6, want us to be slaves to sin. Why? For he who died is freed from sin. It's one thing about a dead person, you're not looking for him to sin. Verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, our resurrection. Knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master, no longer exercises authority over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. It was a decisive event, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, so notice this, and what does that mean? In the same way, just like Christ died to sin and is raised from the grave, and sin no longer has dominion, rulership over him any longer. In the same way, look what it says. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Now, if you have the King James, I love the word, reckon. And why is that? Because I get to sound like that when I say it. Reckon. Think about it. In the same way, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in, there's your location, Christ Jesus. What does it mean? It means that if you know that you've been identified with Christ, if you've died with him and been buried, and just as Christ was resurrected to a new life, so you too, in the same way, have died, buried, and been resurrected to a brand new life And you need to understand that mentally in your mind. Now, position your heart to appropriate that. Walk forward as if it were true. Now you say, what in the world does that look like? It looks like that when temptation comes your way and you recognize that it's going to give birth to sin, if you entertain it, you're looking at that and saying, wait a second, Jesus died for that. And because he died, I died for that. And because I died for that, I actually live a life that has nothing to do with that road over there. I'm on a different road. You see how that works? Now, hopefully you recognize this gives you power. Not any power that you have to come up with. Not any spinach that you need to find in the cabinet to eat quickly. Popeye, anybody? Okay, time out for a second. Is today going to be a bad morning? I just want to know. Because your response to my preaching dictates my self-esteem for the rest of the day, and she has to deal with it, okay? (laughs) So if we're not joyous for the Lord, we need to think about the fact that, wait a second, I'm dead to sin. Is that a good thing? I've been buried. Is that a good thing? See, you never thought the idea of you dying would be so great. But I'm also raised to a new life. You know what that means? I don't have to live that old life. That's not the only option anymore. In fact, that's a completely different world I'm not associated with anymore. I'm now associated in a newness of life. And so if my mind understands the facts of the situation, my heart needs to appropriate this. I need to reckon on it to be true. Let me give you an example real quick. In fact, don't turn there. If you want to mark it next to the idea of yield or consider or reckon, whatever you've put on there, Uh, in your page. Uh, Some translations have yield. Mitch, if you would, bring up Romans 4 real quick. I want to show you how this idea is used. Watch this. Look at the screen. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was, everybody see that word credited? Exact same idea as reckoned, as yield, consider. Same thing. It was credited to him as righteous. Now let me ask you a question. That's God reckoning something in Abraham's stead, yes? How did he do that? Partially or completely? Okay, so if that's God's perspective and how he's now viewing Abraham and he's reckoning that righteousness to Abraham's account and that idea, now stop for a second and turn it around and think about the idea of your death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus Christ. And Paul's asking you to do this. Now, credit it that way. Reckon it that way. Think of it that way. Yield to it that way. Or not yield to it, forgive me. Reckon it that way. Consider it that way. I keep saying yield. That's later. That's my next point. But think of it the same way. Appropriate it the same way. Start viewing yourself as God tells you who you truly are. Does God lie to you? He doesn't lie to me. I hope he doesn't lie to you. In fact, I know he doesn't lie to you. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but all deficits of self-esteem have just been cured. Think about this, guys. Think about this. Now, I'm going to say this, and it's not to freak you out. If you're someone who has voices in your head, you're not paranoid schizophrenic. You're in a spiritual battle. You don't need medicine to cure your problem and to dull your senses. That's not the cure. In fact, if you've got voices in your head talking to you and telling you things, you're not alone. It's just the person that you're rubbing elbows with right now ain't going to admit it either. But that's the enemy's power of suggestion to try to get us to buy into the lies. Think about how they come about. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Gosh, you're so ugly. The things you say there are so stupid. Why do you even bother to open your mouth? You know, well, let's go over and look at ourselves in the mirror again and see if we've gotten any slimmer over time. That's the voice we hate the most, isn't it? Like i choke you out like a fool, Right. That's the one we want to lay our physical hands on, and that's when we have to remember the battle is not against flesh and blood. But we've got all these things that are condemning, 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 that are discouraging us to no end, and what does it do? It puts us in a funk. If we entertain it too long, it drags us into a depression, but what it does is it dismantles us from effectively living out the Christ's life so that God is the center. How do I deal with the voices in my head? I've been crucified with Christ. I've been buried with him. I'm now alive to a newness of life. And I reckon myself to be so. I'm dead to sin, and I'm alive to God, the creator of all things, through Christ Jesus. You know what it says about those voices? They're nothing but liars. Don't think that this is off-limits for Satan. Get this, he doesn't know your thoughts, but he will definitely try to chuck some things out there to plant Thoughts so that if you entertain them, they will run wild. Let me ask you a question. You ever sit down to pray and recognize that you can't focus worth a darn and you get frustrated? It's like white noise going on. Somebody just flipped on a TV and all you hear is Shh. Why is that? Because the enemy's in there. Don't. Well, you need to do this. Well, you didn't write this down on your grocery list. Well, doesn't that need to be fixed? Well, how can you let that go? Well, a good husband would take out the trash. Oh, right? And that's not your wife speaking. That's the enemy. Right? Right? Okay, I got witnesses. All the guys are like, yes, praise God. All the girls are like, no, that's my, that's my world. But seriously, this is where the rubber starts to meet the road, and it all starts with what we believe is true. Now, either we can listen to all the junk that's being introduced into our minds, that's being placed before us in the world, it's being used by the enemy to trip us up and to get our eyes off of what really matters. Or we can know God's word and believe God's word, appropriate God's word, reckon it to be so because a lot of what God has to say in his word directly reflects upon how I live my life day to day, moment by moment. So with that being said, we move into verse 12. Know that we've been dead to sin. Consider or reckon ourselves to be dead to sin alive in Christ. Verse 12, therefore, And good, godly, hermeneutically versed people say what? What's that there for? So because of the death, burial, and resurrection that we share in unity with Christ, look what it says. Do not let sin reign. Rule. Now watch this. Do not let sin reign where? In your mortal body, in your temporary dwelling place, your temporary housing right now. Now remember, the body and the flesh are two different things, and sometimes the word flesh is used to re- reference our body. We have to use discernment when reading the passage. But the idea here is, is since this body of flesh is what encases all of us, we now have an option to not let sin be the dominant factor that rules over us. The depraved nature no longer needs to have a voice of authority. So he says, don't let it happen. Don't let it rain in your mortal body so that you obey its. What's that word there? Lust. Pay attention to it. In fact, if you've got the paper your Bible market, longings, desires, your cravings, everything that in you says that I want cake, all of that. One more piece isn't going to hurt. Liar. Right? Because ultimately we're not being good stewards of our bodies. So we've got to go through those things. Now don't get me wrong. I'm the cheeseburger master okay? I'm a big fan. Came here, I didn't even know what a cheese curd was before I came here. All right? But let me tell you this, and if I hear a voice of opposition, we're going to talk afterwards. A&W makes some insane cheese curds. My mouth is not big enough. I want to sometimes just smear them on me just to feel them. That's weird, but I have your attention, okay? So notice, Here's the invoking of personal responsibility. Not only here's what's happened, reckon it to be true, and now act. This is how you step forward. You step forward by recognizing one thing. Sin is not to reign in my life. Period. It has no say. Why? Because it wants me to obey my lusts. I've already got a lot of things that I want to do wrong. All I've got to do is get an authority to justify it, and I feel less bad about doing the wrong thing. Now, I know none of us can identify with that, right? Look what it says, verse 13, and do not go on presenting, here it is, yielding is the idea here, the King James says, yielding. Do not go on presenting or yielding the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Let's talk about this real quick. Now we've gotten into the realm of the will. When we were talking about know that you're dead to Christ, or know that you're dead in Christ, you're dead to sin in Christ, Know that you've been buried. Know that you've been resurrected. That's everything that goes on in the mind. When we talk about the idea of reckoning it to be so, it's the conviction of the heart of what we know to be true. But now we're talking about getting the will involved, how we should move forward. Now, what's interesting, and I'll teach on this in a few weeks, everything about this deals with the realm of the soul, okay? We are trichotomous people, spirit, soul, body. And I'm going to teach on that here in a few weeks. Okay. But the idea is, is now we're getting our soul involved, paying more attention to what God has planted by the Holy Spirit in our spirit, instead of paying attention to the cravings of this outward shell, the flesh known as the body. We're not to let sin rule. It's no longer a master, spiritually speaking in our spirit. And notice it says here, do not go on presenting, offering the members Members, limbs, parts of your body. In fact, we're going to look at Romans 12 in just a second. It also includes your mind, your eyes. How have your eyes been doing in relation to unrighteousness? Are you like Job? I've made a covenant with my eyes to never look on another woman. That's pretty serious. But that's how seriously he took the truth of God's word and he understand how detrimental sin was to his mental well-being to his fellowship with God. Look what it says. Present yourselves, uh, sorry, uh, go on presenting your members of your body, your outward shell, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Why? Because unrighteousness is completely a different track from the fact that you've been declared righteous. So here's what here's what Paul is doing. He's starting to put together the idea is if you are positionally righteous before God because he's declared you as such through Christ, and that's our justification, yes. Now, how do we talk about Practical righteousness that begins to resemble our positional righteousness. How do we put into practice what is already true of us completely in position? This is the idea. Know, reckon, present. That's what we're dealing with here. So he says, Don't go on presenting your members, the body of sin, uh, of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but here's the different one. Here's the way of the spirit. Before the way of the flesh, here's the way of the spirit. But present yourselves to God. As those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, I want you to see something. Notice in the first part of 13, the idea is presenting the members of your body to who? Sin. Singular. Just what does my depraved nature want to do? That's what I'm going to do. You know what's great about that? You don't have look, look, bleh. You don't have to look far to find an example of that happening around you, do you? People presenting their bodies all the time. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anything come to your mind when you talk about the idea of presenting your bodies to something? Anybody think of anything? Sacrifice. Uh oh. Doesn't it kind of evoke the the mindset of a priest is going to present an offering before the Lord? In fact, what we're going to find is, is that when we look at Romans chapter 12, he picks up the whole present idea, the presentation of ourselves. Who are we bringing ourselves before? Are we bringing it before sin and saying, you know what, sin? I've got these eyes and this mouth and these ears and these hands and this mind why don't you just use it for whatever you want? And let's just let it run rampant. You've been down that roller coaster. Hopefully we would have that be enough to know we don't want to do that. Notice what Paul is saying. No, because of your death, burial, and resurrection and because your heart is now appropriating that truth, step back a moment and ask God, God, here are the members that I have. Here are my hands. God, use my hands for your righteous purposes today. Use my eyes for your righteous purposes today. In fact, everybody see up there where it says instruments of righteousness? See instruments? Is that... No, it's not what it is. Actually, this word can also be translated weapons, which I don't know about you, that's really cool. You ever thought of your hands as weapons of righteousness? Weapons. Things to be used in a particular way that have an end to God. In fact, if the before presentation is to sin, what's the after presentation? What does it say? But present yourselves to who? Notice that it puts God in sin against one another. That doesn't surprise us, but here's what should surprise us. If all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ is true, and if we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, and we now have this new life in Christ, then the idea of our participation in sin should immediately evoke a hypocritical emotion in us. Does everybody see that? Now here's what we do. I know I'm not living like I should. Stop that. We're not talking about keeping a scorecard of sins. We're talking about the very inter-crux motivation for why we do what we do when we do it. Now, look at the last verse 14 here, and then we're going to move to a test case, and then we're probably going to save, I don't know. We don't have Sunday school today. I'll decide here in a minute. Verse 14. Some of you laughed. Thank you. Verse 14, here's a summary statement. Your causal conjunction for, for sin... Notice it's singular, yes? The depraved nature inside of us, the sin principle. Sin shall not be master, shall not be Lord. Sin is not your Lord. The depraved nature is not your Lord. Sin shall not be master, shall not dominate you, shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Why does that matter? Because under the law, you have no power. Because under the law is where sin condemns. Because the law only talks to you about what you need to do for God. The great thing about grace is there's no exhausting that resource. It's where all power lies. It's where true liberation sets the believer free. And it's never about what you do for God. It's about everything that God has done for you. So because we now exist in a sphere of grace, does everybody remember that at the beginning of chapter five, that we've been placed into this gracious standing of which we could never be moved? Good grief. That's nice. Thank you, God. Right? That doesn't bring up a a Thanksgiving a Thanksgiving heart. I don't know what does. But now that we've been in this sphere of grace, we're no longer... Pray to the law. It's no longer about if I'm sinning or if I'm not sinning. How many sins did I commit today? Did I do these sins? Well, I did that, this, this, this. It's no longer the grocery list, guys. The grocery list has been nailed to the cross. And it's been all forgiven. Get this. All of your sins. All of my many multitudinous. I don't even know if I said that the word spelled correctly. All of my multitudinous sins are completely gone, gone. Sin's not the issue anymore. Sins are not the issue anymore. Sin is the issue. And the only way for me to deal with sin, the root cause of why I was doing all these wrong things out here, but it originates in here, is to recognize that it's been crucified with Christ and I've been raised. It's all about identity. How do we see ourselves? Now, you can mark this down if you want. Mitch, if you wouldn't mind, go to Romans 12, please. And it kills me. We're going to get to this in a few months when we deal with Romans 12, because it's a good part. But read with me here. Look what it says here. Therefore, now here's what's interesting about this. Romans 1 through 8, doctrinal. Romans 9, 10, 11, dispensational. Romans 12 through 16, application. See, we love 12 through 16 because it's like, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. There's eight chapters that tell you doctrinally how you want to think before you get anything really to do in the situation, okay? So notice how important thinking is before action. Therefore, because of everything in the previous 11 chapters, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, look what it says, to present, there's that word again, right, an offering. Present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy, and what does it say? Acceptable to God. And I asked you because I was cleaning my glasses. Which is your spiritual service of worship, which actually that word spiritual means it's reasonable. It only makes sense that if you are all these things in Christ, that instead your body would be an alive offering that you're presenting before God. God, how do you want to use me today? God, how can I best be used for your purposes today? And the reason why you have the platform to say that is because everything that's been accomplished for you in Christ and who you are in Christ. And so this whole presentation idea brings forward. What's the offering that I, as a priest believer in Christ Jesus, and we'll talk about that later too, can bring before the Lord to be used for his glory? Look what it says after that. Do not be conformed to this world, doesn't that sound like don't let sin reign in your mortal body? Same concept, yes? But be transformed by what? The renewing of where? do, do, do. Think first. Right thinking leads to right action. Belief brings about obedience. And look what it says. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me say it this way. It's a biblical principle that you cannot have any discernment if you don't feed in the word of God. It's impossible. It's impossible to be able to discern truth from error, good from evil, in any of life's situations whatsoever, as we should do it if the word of God has not taken root richly within us. It's impossible. In fact, the idea of exercising powers of discernment coming from the word of God is what the basis of spiritual maturity is. That takes time, That takes failures. All the grace is supplied for you. Everything that we need is given for you. But that is the result of bringing in God's word so that the mind is changed. Now, if the idea of knowing about the death, burial, and resurrection that I have with Christ is true, it needs to be appropriate in my heart, I need to reckon it, I need to live in such a way as to which it's so. This is the truth of the matter. This is reality. It's a fact. And now I need to present my body as instruments of righteousness, Let's look at a couple of test cases of how this goes down. Everybody turn to James chapter 4. James 4, a test case. James chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. Sorry, I'm about to dry out. So here we go, James 4, verse 1. Now watch the question that he asks. What is the source? Now think about what we've been talking about, okay? Think about this. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Now remember, James isn't writing to unbelievers. He's not writing to just anybody off the street. He's writing to a church of believers in Jesus Christ who have the same standing and identity in Christ that you and I have. So it's perfectly applicable. Now, think about the reasons why there are fights and quarrels and conflicts that happen amongst brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now, I'm sure no one in here has ever fought or had a conflict or quarrel with another brother or sister in Christ, right? That just doesn't happen. We're just so full of love and it's just gross, right? Does that happen? It does happen, doesn't it? And we have a little passive, real quick, passive aggressive is sin, okay? Let me say that real quick. Be upfront and honest about what's going on. Talk humbly with your brother or sister in Christ. Get it resolved, but don't be passive-aggressive. Good grief. Stop it. Bet you going, you know what, that's not, me. yeah, that's me. Stop it. Moving on. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Here it is. Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your, what's it say? Members. Pleasures, you know what that word pleasures can also be translated as? Lusts, desires, wants, mine. Anybody know that type of attitude? (laughs) Ah, the honesty of the Spirit of God. It's good. Where does it come from? It's a situation of the flesh. And you can be guaranteed of this. If I've got a fight or a quarrel that's going on over silly stuff, it's because I want this and I want that. And we become like three-year-olds in the body of Christ. And so therefore, I'm going to use the members of my body as unrighteousness in order to get what I want. And I will go to whatever unrighteous means I have to in order to happen. Everybody know Ananias and Sapphira, right? Unrighteous means, yes. I want to look good before the church, but I'm not going to tell the truth. There's nothing righteous in that. Cost him his life, as it should. And if, remember, think about, think, think, think back to this. Remember the question Peter asked Ananias: Why have you let Satan fill your heart to lie against the Holy Spirit? Where did the temptation come from? Yeah. Whose responsibility was it to deal with it? It was Ananias'. Think about this. He made a choice at that moment. Yes, that sounds good. That'll make me look good. I think I'll present myself as a member of unrighteousness in this because of how good it's going to make me look. What's the source of quarrels amongst you and fights? It's right here. It's in the flesh. And it's because you want something that you can't have. Look what he says in verse 2. You lust, there it is, and do not have. So you commit murder. Think about that. I will kill you to get what I want. Believers in Christ. Isn't this how Jesus teaches on the idea in the Sermon on the Mount? I tell you the truth. If you've got hatred towards your brother or sister in Christ. You've already killed him. He's not worried about the physical action. Whee! It's not a horror movie that we live out. It's the idea that in my heart, I've obviously appropriated something that I've been convinced of in my mind that that is the proper way to handle this situation, to hate that brother or sister in Christ. Don't you think it's interesting that when Cain was rejected before God, that God got down next to him and says, Cain, why do you look so sad? If you just do what's right, would it not be accepted? Isn't that amazing, the love of God that wants to get down and talk with us to say, no, no, you've got a choice here. This way, don't use the instruments of your body, as your members as unrighteousness. You've got a choice. You could do the right thing here. But there's always something about self that wants to clog up the pipe. Always. You lust, you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel and you do not have because you do not ask. Now, here's the thing that we do. We grab a hold of the, I do not have because I do not ask. You say, yeah, prayer! That's what I needed to do this whole time was pray. See, we love that verse because it tells us what we need to do. We skip the other verses because it tells what we were wrong. Notice it comes down how we're messed up in our thinking, what we've appropriated or not appropriated in our heart, and what these weapons are going to do moving forward. Unrighteousness or righteousness? Which one? So now... I love it because if you've ever read James, James doesn't play with you. Let me just say it plainly. He doesn't play around. He tells it like it is. And he understands somebody's going to go to that, I just need to pray and that'll solve it all. No, because your heart's jacked up. God is not listening to that prayer. It's still a prideful, lustful, I want to kill my brother or sister in Christ's prayer. God, please take it away from them and give it to me. And then we open our eyes actually expecting that it's going to work out somehow. That's one of those oy vey moments from God. Okay, so verse 3. You ask and do not receive. Hold it. You told me I don't have because I don't ask. And now you're telling me that I ask, but I'm not receiving. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. Pause for a moment. Life is not fair. None of it ever has been. The idea that there's a quality across the board smells of yesterday's manure. That's a joke. It's something that Satan has caused us to buy into, thinking this idea that no one's unique. That no one's been called to anything different and that God is not going to work within the parameters of his word with somebody in doing different things with them in the ministry of the body. That's insane. So let's get that idea out of our heads and recognize that the problem is the heart and what we bought into. I want what I want and it's because my lust, my flesh Wants it. And even though I prayed with a fleshly demeanor in it, notice what James is telling me. You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. Because right now, the God in your world is you. Right now, sin is reigning in your mortal body. And that's the reason why prayers are not getting answered. Sin is your master. Now, here's what's sad about that. God went to great personal expense and lengths in order to rid you of that bondage. And yet here we are falling back prey to it. Why? Because when we bullied people in high school, it worked out for us to get what we wanted. Because in seventh grade, all you had to do was pick on the younger kid. He gave you his lunch money and he starved for the day. What a big deal to you. Everybody see how evil that is. Everybody see how there's nothing of God that would ever say that. God has never walked into a situation like a bully. I can't find it in Scripture. can't find it in my own life. He always walks in as a father. And he always loves us to the truth. And does that include some discipline sometimes? Absolutely. But it's never an or else kind of attitude. We wonder why some prayers may not be heard. Think about it, guys. Notice what he says here. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Here's the reason. So that you may spend it on your, what to it say? Pleasures. Exact same word was used before. Notice that all of this exists in the sphere of the flesh. Everybody see that? Now, James wants to cut to the quick and deal with it. You adulteresses. Stop. Time. What? Huh? what? I just want stuff. Why are you got to call me names, James. Why does he call James an adulteress? What is an adulteress? Now, don't answer out loud. But think about it for a second. Isn't it someone who is enticing and unfaithful? We might even use the word sultry. Why would James call believers in Christ adulteresses? Well, let's see how he works this out. You adulteresses, do you not know? Uh-oh. Something I need to have up here, yes? Yes? Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Think about it, guys. What does your participation in the world look like? I tell you this, it will automatically dictate your level of spiritual maturity with the Lord. It will automatically... uh, uh, Good grief! Father God, give me the ability to speak this morning! It will automatically dictate where you stand in fellowship with the Lord! Depending on what your dabblings in the world are. James is cutting it. Cut and dry. No gray areas here. Do you not recognize, you adulteresses, can you imagine? Think of the word. It's not bad to think of it. I don't know whether I should say it with little minds in here. But W-H-O-R-E. Don't you realize that your interweavings with the world are completely contrary to God and it's caused hostility in your fellowship with him. Now stop. Does everybody remember Romans 5, 1, that we already have peace because we've been justified by faith? And notice that's our standing And doubt because of this situation. We want to bring hostility into it. That's someone who's not acting according to their identity. Everybody see the separation. We've allowed unrighteousness to come in. Why? Because unrighteousness comes in the form of the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil. It's not hard. Scripture classified them for us, so we know where it's coming from. So, this is considered unfaithfulness. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Good grief. You know what that tells me? Number one, you can be a believer in Christ and yet be... In enemy status with God, even though he loves you, died for you, you're eternally saved, the whole idea like that, because of your choices, because we want to serve pleasures, because we want to do it lustfully, because our hearts would rather kill someone than work with them over a situation. He's saying you can actually set yourself up to be an enemy of God. Number two, doesn't that preach the long suffering of God with his wayward children? Good grief. What a loving Father we have. Verse 5, Do you not think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. In other words, let's say it this way. If the Holy Spirit dwells alongside your spirit, and instead you've decided to take your soul, your life, your mind, will, and emotions, and fall prey to the whims and the lusts of the body, instead of obeying the conviction of the spirit within us that wants to lead us into all truth, just as he has been given to do that. That's his ministry. To convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to lead us into all truth, to give us all kinds of discernment, to illuminate the word of God for our understanding, to seal us for the day of redemption. Good grief, we're blessed. But if we want to deny those realities and instead start to submit ourselves to the idea of our bodies in the situation. We've immediately created a boundary to where the Father is not uh, is not fellowshipping with the Spirit in us. Does that make sense? You've erected a wall. A wall. In an unconditional relationship that was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and given us new life because of the resurrection, and we've decided to put up a wall because our lusts are insatiable. They cannot be satisfied. You ever known any time that you've ever given into your lusts and served them? And you're like, you know what? That's good. We don't even got to do that again. We're good for the day. We're good for the month. We're good for the year. We're good for the rest of my life. I don't ever have to do any of that ever again. Woo! Scratching an itch never felt so good. No, because why? I guarantee this, you're going to start to itch again. Scared to death. The church is full of itchy Christians. I know it sounds funny, but it's true. We think only the lust can satisfy us. The pleasures can only satisfy. Us. My wants can only satisfy. Man, everything that we need to be satisfied has been satisfied in Christ. This is an example of a people who have lost that. Verse six. I love it. Paul or not Paul? Forgive me. James reminds them but he gives greater what? Notice that. Get oriented back with what grace is first. You've got a situation going on with God where your body has not been presented as a member of righteousness, where you're using your weapons for unrighteousness. Here's one thing we need to do is get back with the grace orientation. Recognize all that has been given to you based on nothing that you have done to deserve it. Everybody see how that will immediately bring humility in life? See, that's what happens when you stay on grace. Humility starts to happen. Uh-oh, what's that emotion? That's weird. But notice, it's starting to of you why. Because your mind has been convinced of the grace factor. That's where he wants to bring us. So look at this. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, now watch this. And he's writing it to Christians. Pay attention. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh-oh. Notice two things here. Number one, you can be a prideful Christian and God is opposed to you. He has no problem disciplining his kids. He will spank us. But notice the next part of this. He gives grace to who? The humble. Stop. Just giving us a a solution here. If everything that I want in life is actually being fueled from my pride and my pride has resulted in my flesh and they want to work together and get it, oh, I need to get out of my way to get what I want because I want it. Even when I try to go to such extremes is my conversation prayer with God in order to try to serve out my evil purposes in the situation so that it's all about me, you got a grace problem. Think about grace real quick. And then pay attention to this. If you're proud, God will oppose you. But if you humble yourself, and I picture this, I picture God getting down on his knees and getting next to Cain and wanting to work with him. Don't you realize there's a better choice to make? There's a better presentation. Instead of presenting yourself to sin that you can do here, you can present yourself to God as someone who's been made alive. And these can actually be instruments for righteous purposes. You can do this. You can do this because Christ has made it an option. He's made it possible. He's made it the best way. Here he goes. Here's the word. Oh my gosh, we all clench up like crazy on this. Your toes start to curl into your shoes. I mean, seriously, I'm going to read this word. Look down at your toes real quick if you got like open-toed sandals on. Submit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Beautiful Greek word, hupotasso. It means to voluntarily, which means you have the option to do so, place yourself under the headship of something. Wives, hupotasso your husbands. Voluntarily place yourself underneath him. Church, hupotasso. Submit yourself. Voluntarily put yourself under the authority of God's word and what he has to say on your life. Look what it says. Submit, therefore, to who? Uh Uh-oh, wait. Submit to God. And then we saw before in Romans 6, but present yourselves to God, right? Present your members to God so that you'll be able to use weapons for righteous purposes. Use your mind, your ears for righteous purposes. Submit, therefore, to God. Look at this. Resist the devil. Why? Because when you draw near to the Lord, you can guarantee. Satan works with a gas oven, guys. Just want to let you know. He does. He will start to turn it up on you to get you to walk away. You drew near. Mm -hmm. He loved you when you were complacent, defeated, depressed, down, didn't want anything to do with church, closing your Bible, it's gathering cobwebs, and your prayer life is in the toilet. He loves that. But when you say, Lord, my problem is my pride, and I'm not living according to my crucified and resurrected reality that you've done for me. And that's why I'm all messed up. So instead, I need to come under what you've said about me. And I've used these eyes for these reasons. Notice First John 1, 9, confession of sin. I've used these eyes to look at this. I had no business being in that because it has nothing to do with righteousness. God, I give that up to you. Please use these eyes for your righteous purposes. Satan's all of a sudden like, gosh, it's getting really hot in here, which is funny for him, right? Nobody thinks that's funny. Okay. But you start to make Satan sweat. So what's he gonna do? He's gonna up the attack a little bit. They're not they're not so far gone to where they're in obedience yet. Let me get in there and mess it all up. Resist the devil and look what it says. And he will what? Man, stop for a second. Stop for a second. Imagine being at a bad time in your life. Everybody just think with me. If you need to close your eyes, whatever, mental picture, okay? Imagine being in a bad way in your life. And all of a sudden you recognize that your problem is your pride has messed it up. The reason why you're fighting with your brothers and sisters is pride. The reason why that you've actually thought in your heart, not just in your mind as a suggestion from Satan, but you've actually thought about appropriating in your heart the idea that you want somebody else dead in order to get your lust. And you come under this situation of recognizing that it's a pride problem, as God's word has clearly told us, and you're going to bring yourself under God. And Satan's like, no, 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 come back over here. It's going to be okay. Don't get all religious on me. You know, use whatever language you can to mess us up. And you say, no, 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 no. With God is where I'm supposed to be because that's my identity. Can you imagine Satan fleeing? What does it look like to flee? We talk about the difference between fleeing and moseying. Well, it's okay. No, we're talking. "Ah!" Why the house is on fire. Let me ask you this. If the building was on fire, would you mosey or flee? Why are you not answering me? I'm now scared for my personal safety. If this building catches fire. You would flee. You would run as far as you could and you would jump that fence and get across the highway as far as you could. Then you realize you're in a prison. Think, what in the world happened? Right? But think about it. Satan is going to flee. He's going to run from you. Who are you that Satan should run from you? I'm actually a child of God is who I am. I've actually been justified by Jesus Christ. I'm actually dead to sin, and I'm alive in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I actually have a ministry of reconciliation. I'm actually eternal, eternally secure in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I've actually been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I'm actually a child of God, and the enemy cannot touch me, First John five eighteen. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, your identity who you truly are comes flooding back and you recognize that righteousness is actually what you crave to be done with your body. Not unrighteousness. We recognize the hypocritical nature. That's what got our attention in the first place. But we recognize that we are liberated, set free in Christ. Let me share a quote with you and then I'll pray and close. Can you bring up the Neil Anderson quote? One of the most powerful books I've ever read in my life. Victory Over the Darkness by Neil T. Anderson. The reason so many Christians are not enjoying the maturity and freedom which is their inheritance in Christ is because they hold wrong self-perceptions. They don't see themselves as they really are in Christ. They don't understand the dramatic change which occurred in them the moment they trusted in him. They don't see themselves the way God sees them. And to that degree, they suffer from a poor self-image. They don't grasp their true identity. Let me ask you a question. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Because I guarantee you this, who you are will overflow and outpour into what you do and how you present yourself unto what ends. Are you tired of unrighteousness in your life? It does not start with, well, I just need to do better. That's the idea of praying and still having malice in your heart. That's not where it starts. It starts with coming back to the understanding of who am I in Christ? It's all because of Him, it's all because of His grace on my life. You come back to that brass tax foundational identifier of who you are and that you believe that now you walk forward now you present yourself to god now you offer yourself to him and say god please use the members of my body as weapons for your righteousness it's a good thing let's pray father in heaven thank you for the ideas of that we can actually present ourselves, our bodies, to be used for your glory. And it's all because of everything that you've done and the truth that you have established in Jesus Christ. I can't say his name enough. Thank you, God, that it's sweet. Thank you, God, that your love for us looks beyond what we deserve and gives us what we could never earn. You are truly gracious. And I pray, Father, that our prayer every morning as a body, as individual believers in Christ, as the body of Christ together, our prayer every morning would be, Lord, I know I am dead to sin. I am alive to you in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so I come before you this morning and present the members of my body as instruments for your righteous purposes. God, we ask that of you. And then we rest in that and watch you work through us. How beautiful it is to know that we can choose to offer ourselves to you every day. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.